100 years ago, an extraordinary man passed away in the Holy Land at the age of 77. He had spent more than half a century as a prisoner and an exile. But on his release, and despite his advanced age, his health impaired by decades of imprisonment, he set off on a journey to spread a message of peace, unity, and hope to the world. His name was Abdul Baha. I could see the radiance of this man who was to make such an impression on all our lives. You see such power latent within that person. I never in all my life heard a voice like that. It was vibrant and ringing. I'm Rain Wilson. And I'm Parisa Fitzhenley. And in this series of podcasts, we'll be finding out about this unique figure in human history, celebrating his life and legacy and the enduring influence he has had on people around the world ever since. When he left the house, the sun disappeared. But that kind of sunshine never leaves one's heart. Through his public talks, his writings, his love and service to all who crossed his path, Abdu'l-Bahá offered a pattern of right living to all people for all time. He was, in every sense of the word, an ambassador to humanity. November 1921. Abdu'l-Bahá turns to a companion, tired but serene, and says... I have finished my work. I can do nothing more. A few days later, Abdu'l-Bahá passes away quietly and peacefully in his home in Haifa. He is 77 years old. His grandson Shoghi Effendi writes, The eyes that had always looked out with loving kindness upon humanity, whether friends or foes, were now closed. The hands that had ever been stretched forth to give alms to the poor and the needy, the halt and the maimed, the blind, the orphan, and the widow, had now finished their labor. The feet that, with untiring zeal, had gone upon the ceaseless errands of the Lord of Compassion were now at rest. The lips that had so eloquently championed the cause of the suffering sons of men were now hushed in silence. The heart that had so powerfully throbbed with wondrous love for the children of God was now stilled. His glorious spirit had passed from the life of earth. Early the next morning, news of Abdu'l-Bahá's passing began to spread throughout the Holy Land. It causes an unprecedented stir. The life of one who, for decades, has been a loving and generous father, available to all without distinction, has come to its earthly end. Grief begins to swell in the city. The funeral is arranged for the next day. It is a funeral the likes of which Palestine has never seen. So deep is the love for Abdu'l-Bahá. The mourners number some 10,000, representative of so many religions, races, and tongues. Journalist Michael Day describes the scene. To get an idea of the magnitude of this event, one half of the population of the city of Haifa 
either attended the funeral or watching from the sides of the streets as the funeral procession went up the street. It was led by the police, the city constabulary, and then followed the Boy Scouts of the Muslim and Christian branches. There were Islamic choristers who were chanting from the Quran. And then there were the consuls of various nations that were stationed in Haifa. And of course, in the places of importance were the High Commissioner, Sir Herbert Samuel, and the British. And the interesting thing was that there were some 40 horse-drawn carriages which could have taken them up to the top of the mountain, but they left them there and all but five were used. But all these important VIPs, they showed their respect to Abdul Baha by walking. It's a very steep walk too. It took two hours to get from the house of Abdul Baha right up to the shrine of the Bab where he was to be interred. And on the way, it's quite interesting when you're reading about the sound because what's been recorded is that there was sobbing. Abu Baha had so many connections, so many friendships, so many deep personal relationships with people that the grief was real. He had the ability to make everybody that he encountered special and he listened carefully to what they had to say, what they needed and won their more than friendship. Love would be the more accurate description. And then on the way, there's a school overlooking the cortege and students, the senior years, came out onto the balcony and they knelt and prayed as they watched the funeral procession move up the hill and then round the corner midway on Mount Carmel and then down to the Baha'i properties and to the side of the shrine where the ceremonies were going to be held. The High Commissioner for Palestine is joined in mourning by the governors of Jerusalem and Phoenicia. The chief officials of the government, the consuls of various countries, the heads of the religious communities, the notables of Palestine, Jews, Christians, Muslims, Druze, Egyptians, Greeks, Turks, Kurds alike, a host of his American, European, and native friends, and those who he had saved from starvation during World War I. Men, women, and children, both of high and low degree, all mourning the loss of Abdu'l-Bahá. On this day there is no cloud in the sky, nor any sound in all the city but the sounds of grief. Some of the mourners push forward for the privilege of touching his coffin with their fingertips. Once the casket reaches the point where Abdu'l-Bahá's body will be laid to rest in the heart of Mount Carmel, voices are raised in eulogy. They pay their last farewell, united in their acclamation of the one they see as the reconciler of the human race. Really it was a multi-faith ceremony, which is quite interesting because one of the key teachings of the Baha'i faith is the oneness of religion. All the world religions have come from the one God and therefore teach the same basic spiritual verities with their social teaching and laws adapted to the times. So when the service was held, there were speakers from the Muslim community, from the Christians, from the Jewish community, and orations or the eulogies they were, even to this day, and in translation, they are very moving, very eloquent. In themselves, they are works of literature, but in religious terms, they are an amazing tribute to someone. They basically were saying, we are gathering here for ourselves. We are the ones who are lost. What can we do now? He was the Holy One. He's gone to the next world for his rewards. 
o concourse of Arabians and Persians. Whom are ye bewailing? Is it he who but yesterday was great in this life, and is today in his death greater still? Shed no tears for the one that hath departed to the world of eternity, but weep over the passing of virtue and wisdom, of knowledge and generosity. Look to your right, look to your left, look east and look west, and behold, what glory and greatness have vanished, what a pillar of peace hath crumbled. O bitter is the anguish caused by this heart-rending calamity. It is not only our country's loss, but a world affliction. He hath lived for well nigh eighty years the life of the messengers and apostles of God. He hath educated the souls of men, hath been benevolent unto them, hath led them to the way of truth. Thus he raised his people to the pinnacle of glory. Hear me, O people, a boss is not dead. Nay, nay, this light shall shine with everlasting splendor. We say farewell to the material body of our Abbas, and his material body vanisheth from our gaze. But his reality, our spiritual Abbas, will never leave our minds, our hearts, our thoughts, our tongues. O thou whom we have lost, thou leader of men, generous and benevolent, to whom shall the poor now look? Who shall care for the hungry and the desolate, the widow and the orphan? When we mention Abdul Bahar, we recall sublimity of character and firmness of determination. We recall purity of the heart and the nobility of personality. We recall unexcelled intelligence and oriental genius. Yes, when we mention Abdul Bahar, we recall the excellence of morals, the exalted principles, and the noble susceptibilities. We mention him because he loved the poor equally with the prince. News of Abdu'l-Baha's passing reaches the newspapers of Europe and America. They publish articles and obituaries. His persistent messages as to the divine origin and unity of mankind were as impressive as the messenger himself. He possessed singular courtesy. At his table, Buddhist and Mohammedan, Hindu and Zoroastrian, Jew and Christian sat in amity. He aimed at no less than the regeneration of the world. Abdu'l-Bahá visited Paris. That magnificent and good-natured old man scattered his holy words among us some ten years ago. Under the white turban, 
His eyes reflected intelligence and goodness. Churches of all denominations in New York and Chicago were thrown open to him. He preached not the errors of present religions, but their sameness, and the fact that they should all be united as one, inasmuch as they were founded on the same theory. Jews and Christians, Mohammedans and Buddhists, Zoroastrians and spiritualists, Theosophists and Freemasons, all were urged to recognize the universality of their religions and to worship in peace and harmony together. Abdu'l-Bahá had called the multitudes, all peoples, all religions, all races, all nations, to unity and peace, to universal love and brotherhood, and having called them, his work on earth was done. These same multitudes, the peoples, religions, races, nations, will continue the work to which Abdu'l-Bahá has called them. They will strive to abolish racial prejudice as he strived to do when he spoke of oneness and universal brotherhood, defying the norms of the day, desegregating public spaces, and calling for interracial marriage. They will dedicate their lives to the establishment of world peace, as he had done when he spoke of unity with the leading thinkers of the day and summoned all to a more profound conception of the human family. They will call for the unreserved and absolute equality of women and men, as he had done when he proclaimed it an absolute prerequisite to the abolition of war. Any person touched by Abdu'l-Bahá's example and alive to his vision of a united world are part of his continuing conversation with humanity. Abdu'l-Bahá passed away a full century ago. Over this series of podcasts, we have only skimmed the surface of the life of possibly one of the most extraordinary people to have ever lived. In a world still sorely afflicted by prejudice, conflict, inequality, and self-interest, Abdu'l-Bahá's example, his life, and the teachings he championed continues to speak to us today. Perhaps it's even more needed now than ever before. We still don't have equality of men and women. Scholar Mujan Momin. The social role of women in almost every society of the world is still not a full equality with men. We still have racial prejudice as recent events have shown and we still have deeply flawed institutional racism as well as individual racism. So those issues still remain. And of course, peace, the other issue is still not present in the world. Perhaps we don't have nations warring with other nations to the extent that we did have in the past. But what we do have is internal conflicts of factions within countries at physical war with other factions in those countries and violence and conflict. All of these things were very much part of Abdu'l-Bahá's discourse and they are still very relevant today. The world must address these issues and must resolve them if there is going to be peace and prosperity. There can be no prosperity without peace and there can be no peace without resolving these issues. Abdu'l-Bahá taught that the most vital task before humanity is to build unity. 
Every other ill in the world, he said, is merely a symptom of the underlying disease of disunity. The law is unity. Dissension and division moves us the other way. Artist and writer Hubert Dunbar. So he is the exemplar of this unity that we must strive for in our personal vision, and he provides that to us. The writer Horace Holly describes Abdu'l-Bahá's unifying influence. Abdu'l-Bahá has brought back in its fullness the ancient, the timeless vision of brotherhood, righteousness, peace, and love. Abdu'l-Bahá has given this vision an expression in word and deed which transcends every limitation of race, of class, of nation, and of creed. No community can claim Abdu'l-Bahá for their own spiritual leader and make his inspiration the justification of separateness, as men have done with every spiritual leader of the past. In the divisions of humanity, he has arisen as the true center and point of unity a mirror reflecting the light of one love, one teaching to every horizon. As each community, seeking relief from its own restrictions and its sufferings, turns to Abdu'l-Bahá for guidance, it finds all other communities illumined in the same compassionate love. Abdu'l-Bahá was always searching for the precious point of unity where contrasting perspectives overlap and contending peoples can unite. Writer Bahia Nakhchivani says this is also the task before humanity today. I think we've never seen so many conflicts and so many oppositions as we are witnessing right now. It's as if everything is an invitation to contradiction and conflict. Everything is a splitting of opinion. Everything is an invitation to attack and to deny. And everything Abdu'l-Bahá did was in the opposite direction. And I was thinking again, you know how many times Abdu'l-Bahá says, if someone gives you poison, give them honey. If someone attacks you, love them. If this is a person who's sick, then heal them. It's always opposites. In fact, he's using opposites, but he's using them in a constructive way so that they complete each other. They don't hit each other in conflict. So, I mean, we're really at a crossroads today where our oppositional thinking has gone so far that we're at risk of destroying the planet, of destroying civil society. Our democracies are tottering. Our educational systems have become decrepit and weak at the knees. Our health systems are falling apart with this epidemic. And over and over again, in times of crisis like this, you see people attacking the very fabric. It's as if they're trying to pull this piece of cloth to shreds. And here's Abdu'l-Bahá who's saying, weave it together, find ways to make it constructive, build with it, don't destroy with it. He's not asking us to serve pablum up to the human race. We are all these contradictions. We contain all these opposite things. He's not flattening us, but he's trying to get us to think round, think big, think in an integrated way. And I think that's what he is giving us for our day today. This is the medicine of this tremendous sickness that we're experiencing of endless conflict, endless oppositional thinking. To build togetherness where there is separateness, harmony where there is discord, cooperation where there is conflict. This is the message of Abdu'l-Bahá for us today. 
There is something I learned from Abdul Bahar which I feel should not be forgotten. His life was not really his life alone. It was the life of every one of us. It was an example for every one of us. If men and women all over the world were to arise in ever-increasing numbers and make Abdul Baha's way of life their own, each pursuing his path with zest and confidence, what would the world be like? Abdul Baha is more than a mentor, a philosopher, or a teacher. He embodies every virtue that we can imagine, and he seems to be a universal figure that anyone can relate to. Al-Baha represents for us forever this individual who wants us to become our best, wants us to become spiritually transformed. And by the best, I don't mean the richest. He made it very clear he wasn't talking about the person with the most number of education degrees, the most amount of wealth. By the best, I mean people who cared about other people, who sacrificed for other people, who served other people, and who were willing to give up as much of themselves as they could for the benefit of others. And this was certainly true of Abu'l-Baha. And these are very rare individuals we encounter in the world. Abu'l-Baha sorrowed with the sorrowful and the stricken and the afflicted in deep compassion. He rejoiced with the truly joyous Thousands thronged to his door to seek relief. Some of them sought worldly goods, but many more desired the relief which only the goods of the Spirit can bestow. To them all, Abdu'l-Bahá gave freely and abundantly. No one found his door shut. No one was turned away. No one left his presence empty-handed. He did not merely wait for the oppressed and the bewildered and the fallen to come to him. He went out to find them and to serve them. There's just so many stories that we've been blessed to have about how Abdu'l-Bahá interacted with people of all social strata, all racial and ethnic backgrounds, and he did so in a manner that made it perfectly evident that they were already inside the circle of unity. His is a life of divine servitude and a glorious example for all who are desirous of promulgating brotherhood and peace among mankind. I have never known him to command another to do anything which he has not already fulfilled. For me, he stands as an example because he was able to embody these qualities of both love and justice, love and principle. So when I think about undertaking actions myself, I often will ask myself, what would Abdu'l-Bahá do? How would he think about this? What were his standards? So in a world that is very confused about standards right now, for me, Abdu'l-Bahá is that standard. He provides that view of what is honorable, what is good, what is constructive about belief and about action. I had received some of the spirit that he always gave forth is something that I would treasure forever. We have not yet plumbed the depths of Abdu'l-Bahá's being. He never forgot for a moment that we were souls having a material experience. 
When I think of Abdu'l-Baha, the two words that come to me most are love and service. And Abdu'l-Baha is saying service in love for mankind is unity with God. He stood like a lighthouse founded on a rock around which wintry tempests rage and the summer oceans play. His poise and serenity remaining ever steadfast and unshaken. He lived a life of faith and calls on his followers to live it here and now. He raised amid a warring world the banner of unity and peace, the standard of a new era. It is the same Holy Spirit which inspired the prophets and saints of old, but it is a new outpouring of that spirit, suited to the needs of the new time. He is that mirror, wherein every man may see reflected his own perfection, but reflected for the first time in the image of all mankind. He is that mirror, wherein science and religion, economics and government, action and philosophy shine radiantly forth in one augmented likeness and form. He is that mirror that turns equally to the east and the west, equally to man and woman, equally to here and hereafter. Few of those whose lives have touched this life for a single hour have remained unchanged. <laughs> 